Pamela and how you got into the advertising space? Sure. So I used to work at Google and that job in itself was very unexpected. And while I enjoyed working at Google and, you know, had a lot of different uh, engagements there, it didn't end up being the place for like forever. And so once I left Google, I found myself in this spot where I could do whatever I wanted. Um, I didn't have to listen to a boss. I didn't have to, you know, go to a certain class. I didn't have to study for an exam. Like everything in my life was suddenly up to me. And so I started taking on the first projects and four months after I'd left Google, I then made more money in a month than I'd made at Google in a month. And so I was like, well, since I got it this far as, you know, coming from a non-entrepreneurial family and not really having like role models for this, I'll probably be able to make this more sustainable and figure out a way forward to kind of like make this last. And so, yeah, it's been eight years since I founded my advertising agency. Well, I'm confident you're in Austria, right? So you were working for Google Austria. I was working for Google in Ireland back then at the EMEA headquarters in Dublin. Oh, okay. And then where did you find your agency then? The agency is registered in Austria. Oh, okay. And so you then moved from Ireland to Austria or you worked from wherever you, you know, wherever it's comfortable, I suppose. Yeah, so pretty much from the beginning, I made it to be location independent. So that was one of my main goals where I said, whatever I do going forward, I want to make sure that I work whenever, however, with whoever, and pretty much do whatever I want. So that was the premise of it. And since it was the first time of me founding a company, I wanted to do it in a legally familiar environment. So I grew up in Austria. I, I speak German. That's my mother tongue. So I thought, well, founding a company is already enough of like work that at least let me do it somewhere where I'm familiar with the language and the legal system. Right. And, you know, how is it like starting your own advertising agency? I think we, we, we have a couple here, but I think the way we do our ads and the way they probably done in the first world country, they're quite different. Ours seem to just be the same jingles that are used by almost every company. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Hilda. Um, yeah, thank you. <laughs> and how obviously you make lots of money from it. It's, it's quite amazing how you said you went to making four times as much as you were making from Google. So, well, I... Well... Uh, four months after I left Google, I'd made more money in a month than I'd made at Google in a month. Oh, okay. Okay. Sorry. I didn't get that correct. But anyways, yeah. Making more money than you were making when you were employed. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So, and looking back, I could have probably made a lot more money early on if I had worked early on my money mindset. If, you know, I didn't undersell myself and I undersold myself a lot of times for a long time. So there was definitely a lot more potential than I had even used it back then. Yeah, and I can assume that your advertising agency makes lots of money now. 
you know, I think that's always relative in terms of like what okay. what do you take as a comparison? Um, right. Yeah. It it definitely you know pays the bills and and allows me to live a life on my own terms. So yeah. <laughs> I like so that how you, you to grow it to become like a system. How I know that. Oh, I I just wanted. I was just making a comment that you mentioned about having a money mindset, and I think most entrepreneurs, um, when they're just starting out, they sort of undersell themselves. But how did you get off of that? Like, how did you value the services that you were giving out there? That's a great question. So, in Pretty much within the first year of business, I was lucky enough to have found a business coach that I resonated with a lot. And for me, it's not an easy thing to get a mentor or a coach. Like I'm very, very picky and I only work with someone if I really feel that there's a good fit. And so I started working with this person who then not just also partially made me aware of these concepts a little bit more, but also helped me understand how to price a service better because if you compete on price with somebody else it's always going to be a very very rough game but if you manage to price your services based on the value the output that you provide then you have a much different discussion that also makes it easier to sign on new clients so in the end how i price services in order to be like to be very concrete here is I look at the outcome that we provide. So am I able to get the client a five or 10 X return on what they're currently making or scale their, their ad efforts to a certain extent. And then I take a portion of that. Okay. And was it, and was it difficult? Was it a challenge to find like the clients? Like how did you manage to get clients really? Because I think that's, that's a, major challenge to, to get that sale so one thing that really helped me is on the one hand not growing up with a big network i just grew up with a normal middle class family but it's not like i knew a lot of people and so already during my university times i started building up a network by being part of different student organizations traveling working and so on and that kind of then had a ripple effect into everything that I was doing. So by the time that I left Google, I already had such a big network of almost knowing people in pretty much almost every country in the world so that I'd communicated, hey, pretty much I'm now available for projects in this space. If you want to, we can work together. So, and then I signed up on like freelance platforms in the beginning and reached out to people LinkedIn posts. And what this has evolved to over the past eight years is that people now reach out to me. So about 85% of business comes from referrals and people keep telling me, it's like, look, one of the reasons why I trust you and why I see the expertise that you have is because you continuously show up on, especially LinkedIn, for example, or Facebook. So it's building up a certain personal brand year over year. And so confirm, um, based on what you are saying, to build a sustainable company, 
you really have got to be showing um, what value your company can bring to the table. And I know you've also worked with, in Ghana and Nigeria. And how has that been in comparison to Austria or any other countries? You know? Yeah, so I think on the one hand, advertising budgets are much smaller. So the biggest companies that you'd find in those countries have advertising budgets that usually would match those of like small companies in like Europe or the US. So for us, it usually makes sense to come in when a company has at least multiple four figures of an ad budget per month. Marketing budgets being so small in Africa compared to, you know, America or UK. Yes. Yeah. Pretty much what we then focus on is training people. So even though you have like a lot of people that now do digital marketing, the knowledge is still very basic in a lot of cases. On the one hand, because most universities haven't properly embraced the subject yet in Europe and the US, yes. In Africa, it's still um, similar to like Latin America. It's still very new, so to speak. And so people need a lot of training. And then like the biggest companies have like marketing budgets that would equal those of like small companies in Europe or the US. And then people try to invest in ads. So we focus only on like helping companies grow with ads, not like social media or SEO or anything, just like ads. And a lot of times people don't need ads in a lot of these countries, but what they need is actually invest in a proper website, invest in a proper customer funnel, and then also invest in proper customer service. And those aspects can already take you very, very far in terms of marketing, where you wouldn't even need to invest in in ads. So when you say ads, you mean like an ad on radio or on TV, something like that? So we only do ads on the internet. So if you go to Google, you would see ads. If you go to YouTube, you'd see ads. And Facebook, you'd see ads. All those posts are sponsored. Those fall under the category of ads. Well, it's like those ads that happen on YouTube. Correct. Okay. And that's what we are still doing in Africa. Yeah. You know, it's actually interesting because... um, in Af- I, I think in Malawi, the focus more is on advertising on TV and on radio. Yeah, yeah the jingle yeah. comes on, and I guess you remember it from the radio or the TV. And I think maybe advertising on the internet is still something new that people are trying out. Yeah, which is interesting because almost everybody already has a smartphone. Mm-hmm. So there's a very big portion of the population that you can reach on Instagram, on Facebook other websites, because most people in Africa skipped a laptop. They went straight to having access with the internet on their phone. Whereas, for example, in Europe or the US, we grew up first with a computer before we had access to a smartphone. Yeah, so yeah, and, yeah. go on. Yeah, so you the, the is, is a lot different. So where, you know, companies will say, oh, let's build a website. But then they have to build the website so it's mobile first and not desktop first. So that it fits actually the local user that they're trying to reach. Yeah, that, that, is, that is actually a very interesting point. Um, 
because most of the times, a lot of companies in, in Zimbabwe, and I suppose Malawi as well, do not even have websites. Um, it's actually a challenge trying to yeah. get hold of any companies that you, you probably find, let's say, on Facebook or Instagram, trying to then get more details about their companies. Mm. And some still use Gmail as a... Um, as a, yeah, as, as a an email official address. email of a company, yeah. Yeah, which is, th- there are interesting aspects to that. So I've had some conversations with people in different countries in Africa. And for example, in Nigeria, it's very common, or even Ghana, that quite some ministers use a Gmail address and not the official government address. And yeah. Yeah. what I've been told is that apparently people sometimes get scammed by company email addresses that they don't trust the company email. So they actually trust a normal Gmail more, which is quite counterintuitive if you look at it from that aspect. But overall, I absolutely agree with you that there should be, nevertheless, a professional company email. A Gmail for me is not a, a professional email. And I go so far as to if a potential client applies to work with us and they apply with a, a private Gmail, we will not accept them to work with us. Oh, really? Wow, that's very, very interesting. <laughs> yeah. I suppose you would have a lot of clients from Africa. <laughs> I think that the point is just, I'm, I'm a person who values the small things because I see everywhere you go in the world, how people do the small things is how they do the big things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Because for me, it's, it's like when I'm dealing with a supplier and if they can't communicate that they're running late or, you know, they can't deliver something, I actually get irritated. And I feel that's something people in Africa, once again, take for granted. I don't know how it was for you when you were dealing with African businesses in Nigeria and Ghana, for example, um, in terms of their professionalism and all sorts, like how did you find that? See, I came the first time to Nigeria when I was 18 and I had to adjust myself in terms of expectations around how time is managed there. And mm-hmm. at the same time, people then kind of like called me out for being very strict when it comes to timing and people oftentimes take time management as a cultural issue. And I've always told people, it's like, look, time management is not necessarily a cultural issue. If you want to succeed in a global world, you have to understand what time means and what the value of time is. So if you come late to a meeting with me and you don't tell me about it, um, then I'm going to move on. And it's your responsibility to communicate. And if you don't like it, then you can go work with someone else. But I have a lot of other things to do and enough people around me that value my time. So I've always been very strict. I've always been very straightforward in my communication with people. Now that's different in my on the private side of life. Like if I meet up with friends in Ghana and we're going out, I'm, I'm chill with time. I adjust to whatever they want to do. But if someone wants to work with me, then everything goes according to my time frame and my timeline. Because if that is something that people don't adhere to, as you said, I get irritated and then the quality of my work decreases. So it's my responsibility to keep up my energy. And part of keeping up my energy is adhering to time and managing all that I do in a certain way. 
that's a valid point. So, what yeah. what what would you advise for um African entrepreneurships really? Because uh, entrepreneurs, sorry, because a lot of them um they just you know found a base, and you generally will know that okay, no, I'm talking to Hilda, and if you speak to someone else, you're like, oh, it's still you know the same company. How can we just go beyond that and maybe you know getting a proper team and creating a whole company that goes beyond the founder? You mean how they can scale? Yeah. Scale, how, can yes. they, how can they go beyond just being a founder? I think something critical is probably the team that you work with. Work I with. don't know how it was for you when you started out. Was it critical for you to have the right team in your corner when you were starting out your, your journey as an entrepreneur? So I think what people got to be got to do here is be really honest with themselves. Am I just really good at one skill and am I a good freelancer or do I have the potential to be an entrepreneur? Because these are two different things. I can be a really good freelancer and deliver really great value. But being an entrepreneur means that I have to manage a lot more aspects. I have to manage a team, hire people, fire people, etc. So that's kind of like the first stage. And then if you decide, hey, okay, I'm, I'm good as an entrepreneur, then you have to look at your own mindset when it comes to time and money management. So one of the first things that I did there is to hire a virtual assistant. And I went through a couple of people before I found the right one, because that was also something I had to learn, how to delegate, how to work with, with a team and all that. But now I've had my virtual assistant team for, I think, six years, if not longer, and they've been vital for my business. So I had to learn how to delegate. I had to learn to accept that certain things are not going to be perfect, that there's going to be some sort of miscommunication. But those are all things that are fixable. And if you want to grow a company, then you have to simply improve certain aspects of yourself and work on that. And if you don't, then you will always struggle to a certain extent. So entrepreneurship comes with a constant call for working on yourself and improving your mindset and you know i suppose that also then in hand with our next question you know this whole anti-hustling mentality like the anti-hustling mentality what would you what would your thoughts be on that and how we can i suppose move away from that as well yeah, so I think if people are in their early 20s, it's absolutely okay to to work your, your butt off. I mean, when I was at university, I, I didn't just study, I always worked and I volunteered. So there were always at least three things that I was doing. And I had, you know, I stayed up nights and had my fun and that was great. But I also realized that at a certain point, I want to do something else and also that I've done enough. So a lot of people continue that kind of mentality into their 30s, 40s, 50s, but then they miss out on life. They miss out on having a good relationship. They miss out on having proper health. They miss out on spending time with their kids. And it only realize much, much later that, hey, this is actually something I should have done. So regret is one of the biggest aspects that people can have later on in their life. So I always ask people to look at your life right now and really, really think closely. Would you regret not living your life a little bit more? 
And the issue is that, for example, for men, if you continuously sleep less than six hours a night, you actually age by a decade. So that hustle mentality has a direct impact on your body in terms of stress. And any kind of stress is the root cause of any kind of disease out there. So you actually reducing stress and focusing on doing what makes you feel good automatically impacts everything that you do because your output can only be as good as your input. So if your input at work comes from a very low energy state where you don't feel stressed, then your output is going to feel exactly the same way. And that's, what's going to be mirrored back to you in business. Yeah. Well, I think I think those are some very important aspects to, to think of as an entrepreneur, that it's not just about, like you say, just go, 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 go. But also there's also other areas like self-care and, you know, some of us who are looking for partners, I know Hilda, you're there as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, to continue with that, you might actually then miss out on finding a great partner. Um, but also, I just also want to say congrats on making it on Forbes uh, 30 under 30. How did that, how did you get that recognition? And for any other aspiring people who would want to go on the Forbes list, what would you reckon um, they are looking for? Um, well, thank you. Um, so I always get a little bit shy talking about that, uh, I guess, which is in my, in my nature to kind of like keep yourself humble. Um, well, so after I left Google, I was completely on my own and I felt that when I was on my own, I didn't have any measure. Was I actually doing good? It is what I'm doing actually making sense. And so I started having this goal that, Hey, it would be cool to get on the Forbes 30 and a 30 list, because that then would mean for me that I'm doing something right. And so I started visualizing the goal and at the same time, also working towards it. So what I mean by that is in 2016, I saw that Forbes had this conference in Israel that I applied to because at that time you could go there as an already list maker or you could apply if you weren't on the list yet. So I applied, they accepted me, I paid for the ticket, which back then was like, I think 900 bucks or something and attended it and had a great time and thought, well, now that people know me, it might be easier for me to get on the list because there's a familiar face. You always, whatever you apply for, you always have a bigger chance if you already know people at that thing than if you just apply and nobody knows you yet. Mm -hmm. So, and then the deadline came to apply for it. And I thought, okay, cool, I'm going to apply for it. And I looked at the application and it said application closed. So I had missed the deadline. And I thought, well, Got to go again to the conference next year. So 2017 went again. And then very long story short, I had coffee with one of the back then editors at Forbes. And about 45 minutes into the conversation, she told me that, hey, by the way, we're looking to have you on the list. So I didn't have to apply. Um, I could have never imagined that it would happen this way. And of course, in that moment, I was, you know, in my head, I was jumping up and down at the conversation. I was trying to just stay cool and, and be happy about it. So, yeah, I, you know, I was really open about how it would happen. I just was visualizing that it would happen. And so it did. 
because it's a, it's a different approach and it emphasizes the importance of networking because sometimes you just assume that somebody will notice your business but then you're shying away from the spotlight oh wow that's, that's and I also like how you said you had to pay to attend the conference because I think a lot of people also then want things just for free not realizing sometimes you have to to make money you have to spend money really um so you know i think that's also quite important that for these networks because i know we have a lot here and people might not be willing to pay the hundred dollars for example because like oh it's too much but then at the same time like no but how you then get into those circles to then be known with a bigger audience rather than you know your five dollar audiences for example absolutely Mm -hmm. absolutely Mm -hmm. i always say like if you're not willing to spend a hundred dollars how can you expect anybody to pay you that yeah, mm. exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So I actually like how you Hilda, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you, but I can't hear. Yes, I can. Yes, Sorry, I, just, I, I had received oh, another call. She's back. Oh, okay. Can you hear me? Okay. okay. Yes. Can you hear me? Yes, yes. yes. Yes, yeah, sorry. So, um, yeah, I was just saying um, how you pay for it and then you didn't have to apply. I remember I wanted to apply for it before and it was such a long process. But I think I just gave up and I just thought, no, I cannot even measure up. So I think now I need to apply for 40 and the 40 if there's ever such a thing. I'm not so sure. But I'm happy that I met you when I attended the Dubai one because I feel like it really did open up a lot of doors for me as well in terms of the caliber of the women I met over there. Absolutely, yeah. Mm, so it was good. It's a good opportunity. And one, I had to pay for it as well. So, you know, um, <laughs> I, I thought that was a good investment. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you know, there, there were, I, I definitely paid to be in a couple of these rooms because, uh, I mean, I'm sure there would have been other ways as well, but it always depends what your focus is and, and how you want to engage with people. But there are plenty of other events that you know I went to just as a normal attendee, but then the outcome of it was like the return on it was so much more than the ticket price. So for me, going to these events always paid off in a literal financial sense as well. So did you get like new clients, and you know, um, what what would you say is the the biggest um, takeaway from these events that you've benefited from? On the one hand, it's clients. On the other hand, it's a it's just a really big network. So, for example, just by being part of the Forbes 30 and a 30 network, I you know I can easily post in a WhatsApp group. And just last week, a friend was looking to hire a CTO, and I just wrote two sentences in in the group and got referred to people in that he's now talking with. So it just yeah no I think having that. Yeah, I was just going to say that that you could just make things happen very quickly. And, and it's it's a network of great people. Yeah, I think just having that Forbes um, title just has a lot more weight rather than just a normal person. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, well done and then congratulations. I like it. You did it in a very different way compared to, yeah, to everyone very, else. Yeah, a very creative way. Yeah, <laughs> and that's why you're in the ad space. 
I, I, I guess, I guess, um, I, I think I just know how people work in terms of like how to make decisions. And we always prefer working with familiar faces than with unfamiliar ones. So, yeah. Yeah. Yoto, do you have anything you wanted to add on or to ask? I, but I just think you should also have like the confidence and guts because I'm just thinking you have to believe in your product and what you're selling out there for you to be able to say, okay, I'm going to have this conversation with this person because I know this person will take me from A to B, you know? Absolutely. And I think. And I think most entrepreneurs um, have that. Some are still probably developing that sort of attitude, I guess. Yeah, and I definitely haven't always had that. It's something that I had to build up over time. Yeah. No, but, but I think it, it does take time to be building confidence in your product, really. I think the early stages, maybe, you know, it, it might be a bit in terms of what you're producing, but with time you've improved the product or the service that you're bringing to the table and hence you can, I suppose, be more confident. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that, Pamela. Do you have any advice for our listeners? Because I'm sure you've got a ton of gems that you want to share with us. I think one aspect that I would want to invite the listeners to think about is that your business is always a direct mirror at any point in time of your internal beliefs about the world and yourself. So if something isn't working in your business, you can pretty quickly understand what's going on if you just look inside, which can sometimes be very rough. That's not an easy thing to do because it might have to deal with, you know, bypassing the ego, um, putting it completely down, doing things differently, understanding that maybe things have to have been done the wrong way. But once you start to learn that and understand how that works, you can grow yourself a lot faster as well as your business. I love it. Love, love it. I think, you know, I learned yeah, a lot from... Great. Yeah, from all your work, basically starting off and realizing you could make more as an entrepreneur rather than as as an employee, and also um, just you know the the balance aspects and just I think overall confidence. I think that's what I've learned from you. Like one, doing things differently, and two, just believing and having confidence in yourself. It really, really goes a long way. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that, and I mean those are things that that took me a lot of time. To, to come around yeah yeah I think I think as long as you know you you're improving every time that you you maybe go to a conference like this time you meet one person the next time you meet two people so you know I think as long as there's always that aspect it's, it's always great right yeah exactly yeah no Pamela it's been great thank you for joining us and for taking time out to to share some of your experiences with our listeners it's, it's I've really enjoyed myself yeah, we really did enjoy having you on our podcast. And we've been quiet for so long. So this is a great start to bring us back into the swing of things. 
Yeah. I'm very glad to hear it. Thank you so much for having me on. Hopefully, like, hopefully next year, I think they, they tend to have the African one in Botswana, right? I'm planning on attending next year, so I hope you will attend that, but I might, hopefully we can catch up again somewhere around the globe. Absolutely. And I mean, look, I haven't been yet to Zimbabwe or Malawi, so those countries are definitely <laughs> on the list to visit. <laughs> <laughs> you should. You should. <laughs> would, be, would love to host you. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. No, thanks, Pamela, and have a lovely time. And have a lovely afternoon and enjoy the rest of your week. Thank you. You too, ladies. Thank Goodbye. You. Bye. Bye.